welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rage. You still don't get it, do you, boys? There ain't no countries anymore. No more good guys. They're running the whole show. They own everything, the whole goddamn planet. They can do whatever they want. It's not the appearance of life. It is life. This is not magic. As you say, I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Retro Blood as we continue our sci-fi month. If you have some specialty glasses that are telling you to obey, to go to sleep, and to be controlled, this is the review for you everybody because we are talking all about They Live. Jay Allison, James Klein, starting off this uh, sci-fi month, it's going great so far. So we are now entering um, downtown Los Angeles. We have gotten some some glasses to wake us up from this nightmare of big corporations taking over us and aliens being under men's clothes. How you feeling, Allison? How you feeling about the Sci-Fi Month? How you feeling about they live? Man, it's it, it's uh, it's great so far. I mean, I'm really enjoying uh, the movies that we've seen so far. We saw the Thing last week, which was really really good, of course. And this week we followed up with another John Carpenter movie, uh, They Live, which is also a great movie. And I actually like this movie more now than I did when I originally saw it. Yeah, it's definitely no, one of it's those. It's actually movies. gotten better to me. Yeah. Yes, it's actually one of those movies that's like, it's very a, a popular subject. Um, yes. Because, you know, this is a subject that'll probably be going on even past when we're gone is, you know, is there this certain creatures or somebody running everything, you know? Are they yeah. running the government? Are they running us? Are they telling us what to do in our lives? Uh, it, are they using all these messages like magazines and TV shows, commercials? Now we have Facebook. Now we have Twitter, Instagram, all that social media stuff. Is that just another ploy of these creatures telling us and t- telling us what to do and telling us how to live our lives? So it's definitely a time a timely movie, and I think you can put this movie almost into almost any era and it'll still be timely to this day. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. Um, a lot of it, though, and we'll talk about this on the show uh, when we talk about the movie, but a lot of it is um, colored by your own perception. Because um, we'll talk, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll talk about this. And I'm sure that this show will get, somewhat political because i don't know how we could talk about this movie and it not be political because i mean this movie is overtly political yeah (laughs) um but um it's kind of weird because like you you see they live being brought back up a lot now and um on both like left wing and right wing people talking about it and i find it kind of funny because they both think that the other one is controlling the world Yes. At the same time. You know what I mean? Like, so like the, like the left wing, like, um, 
you know, is, is quoting this movie because they think that the right wingers are controlling the world. And now the right wingers think Joe Biden is controlling the world. Um, it's just really weird. It's just a really weird thing. Maybe if those two groups of people just got together and watched this movie and talked about how much they like this movie instead of all the other stupid bullshit they're trying to, to push, then maybe the world would be better. But yes. I don't know. Maybe they can figure it out. It's actually a creature from outer space. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Putting it's actually a creature from outer space. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it just so happens that we're, you know, in sci-fi month that Jar Carpenter just seems to have really good sci-fi movies. So that's why we decided yeah. to do the thing, and then they live. Um, and it's pretty cool how we got the uh, uh, the the same uh, character from the, from the thing too. You know, the same actor, I should say, uh, Frank. Um, he, he, mm-hmm. You know, being over in this, actually not Frank, but um, um, what's his name, Keith. Keith David, yeah. yeah, Keith David. So we got we got double of him uh, on this review as well too. But we have a lot of stuff to get into uh, when it comes to they live. You know, we're going to be talking about some of the production, some of the, the scene by scenes. But before we get into all that, let's do our history segment. So this movie is pretty interesting because it came out on November the 4th, 1988. So a couple of interesting facts about this movie is obviously the, the, main, um, the main hero of the film, Nada, is played by none other than Mr. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper himself. And yes. so, you know, I thought, you know, for our history segment, we can just go over a little bit of history about Roddy Piper um, himself, um, kind of lead, kind of leading up to his, his starring role of this movie, you know, so we're probably not going to talk too much about his 70s run, you know, obviously, yeah, I did, I did find it kind of interesting in my, um, in my uh, research that he was actually cha- tra- uh, trained by uh, Gene LaBelle who actually recently passed away a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting that you know, not only did Roddy Piper, you know, train for Black Belt with uh, Gene LaBelle, he also worked for uh, Gene LaBelle in his um, NWA Hollywood wrestling promotion as well, too. So, and it, it kind of makes sense because, you know, Gene LaBelle also helped train um, Roddy Ronda Rousey as well, too, who is actually a big uh, Ro- uh, Roddy, Roddy Piper fan as well, too. <laughs> Say that 10 right. times fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was uh that was pretty intense there um for a minute but yeah we got it we got through it we got so through. uh labelle also also helped train rousey yes so you know that's kind of a neat, neat tie in stuff on there too but um when it comes like to the 80s and stuff he was you know he was working in the nwa hollywood wrestling show um for a little bit he also worked for roy shire's nwa san francisco uh wrestling as well too um, and then Piper is—he's also kind of been known to be like a little bit of both. Like he could be a, a good, a good, good guy and a bad, bad guy as well too. Um, some of the some of the things when he was working in um, going into the going into the actual '80s was he worked a lot for the mid Mid Atlantic Territory, where yeah. he would where he would do like pretty much like if we were watching wrestling, we kind of like started around the '80s. We would first know Piper from being in Mid Atlantic. Um, he would have great matches with Jack Briscoe. Um, he would do a few with Ric Flair over the U.S. belt um, during that time. But I think the biggest thing that he did um, in that territory, especially when he was working for Georgia Championship Wrestling, was um, he came to the aid of the broadcast partner Gordon Sully. Because um, he was like, he Piper at the time, um, he was mostly just doing like interviews. 
Um, he didn't wrestle a whole lot, you know, when he was in first going into Georgia Championship Wrestling. He did wrestle, you know, a little bit like Bomb Armstrong and Dick Slater and stuff. Um, but he didn't mostly get his notoriety until the summer of 92 when he helped out Don Morocco from Ole Anderson saving uh, to save his broadcast partner. So Piper was doing a lot of broadcasting. And we've seen wrestlers do that before. You know where they where they they could do broadcasting and they can they could be a good uh, professional wrestler. You know, a couple that comes to mind is like Taz has done that yeah. before. You know, Samoa Joe has done it. Um, you know, just a couple. You know, Will, uh, Wade Barrett right now on NXT. Yeah. Um, so they they could still you know wrestle and stuff, but um, they they also could do a little bit of both behind the commentary right. table. Well, I mean, speaking is so much a part of wrestling that you really have to have the wrestling ability and the speaking ability, the promo, to be able to be successful. So you would think, though, that most wrestlers would be able to do that if they had a good promo, which I guess a lot of them have over the years. But then, you know, a lot of them, you know, the ones with, without the best promo, uh, you know, maybe didn't do that. Although it's got, Wade Barrett's a weird example, though, because I don't feel like he had a really good promo when he was in WWE. But he's a really good commentator. Yes. <clears throat> Some people just grow into the role a little bit. Just get a little better. Like kinda like how Taz was. You know? Right. We I didn't I knew Taz was a decent promo, especially in ECW and a little bit in WF, but you didn't really get to see his actual wit and his commentary skills until he, he was on the booth for a while. Yeah. Kind of grew into Because he was never funny. Yes. Right. So getting back to Piper, um, so this is like kinda like the uh, the first so Piper was like one of those heel commentary type of type of roles like he was like the heel you know kind of like how we'd see like the Corey graves or like the the jerry lawler jerry lawler is a good example too of another wrestler turned commentary um mm. so the the story behind it was you know he uh, the drama finally played itself on tv when one of his piper's hired as, uh, assistants don morocco suddenly attacked the commentary gordon sully seeing sully hurt piper unleashed his scottish fury on the mom morocco in the weeks that followed um, he, uh, he basically just followed that he started to fight more of the bad guys off and then he eventually, uh, got the, uh, the fans behind him. So it was kind of like a, a slower process build. Um, mm-hmm. but unfortunately in 1982, Piper was fired from Georgia championship wrestling because of showing up late for a match. So from there he went to Puerto Rico and he was also booked a little bit with Jim Barnett shortly after therefore. So we could see, you know, th- like like we were saying on some of the uh, the podcasts, um, you know, when we talk about the '90s to to at least '95, there was a ton of back and forth territories. You know, they would just wrestlers would go to. So it'd be it'd be something of a wrestler spend more than like two years in a territory. Yeah, this is after he went to Mid Atlantic, right? He left Mid Atlantic, yeah, Georgia. Yeah, yeah, he went to Mid Atlantic, went to yeah, Georgia, and then after Georgia, now he's on to Puerto Rico, and now he's uh, working shortly. For uh, Jim Jim Barnett, uh, and then this is when he would finally okay, move back to the Jim Crockett promotions, and that's when he would do his feud again with Sergeant Slaughter, Ric Flair, and of course Greg Valentine in that famous dog collar match that we reviewed on this podcast before. Yeah, where he lost like fifty percent of his hearing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because his his eardrum got really damaged. Um. But yeah, so I know that he had a feud with Ric Flair while Piper Piper was a face and had a feud with Ric Flair in like 1981. Yes. Um, and I think that and I think that he has a feud with him a little bit later on when he goes back to Crockett. But then it wouldn't have been 
too much longer after that before he uh, went to the F, though. Yes. Yeah. And then Piper's, he would be a face or heel forever. Yes. So Piper's, you know, stay in the um, and um, uh, Georgia, Georgia Championship wasn't too long, but he did have a couple of good years and a couple of good matches with Ric Flair and then um, um, Greg Valentine as well, too. Obviously, Greg, the Greg Valentine one happened at the Starcade, which being his probably his most famous match that he did in uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling at the time. So when he went to the uh, World mm-hmm. Wrestling Federation uh, full-time in 1984, uh, before that, he, he did wrestle five matches under you know, Vince McMahon Sr. in 1979. So he's familiar with a little bit of the, the garden. Um, so, mm-hmm. but, you know, but then when he was working a little bit for, for Vince at 1979, you know, Freddie Blassie, the famous story that he, he, uh, he put uh, toilet paper down his bagpipe so he couldn't play to the garden's crowd with his bagpipes. <laughs> So that's that's pretty right. much why he didn't want to stay too much in New York. But eventually, you know, this is the area this is the era where Vince McMahon was taking up all the talent. And of course, Riley Piper, you know, was a big star during his time and he he fit the mold of what Vince was looking for. You know, a very brash, cocky, um, very good promo heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he um so he shows up. So basically, like we've talked about this before, like in the nineteen eighties, um, Hulk Hogan was the wrestler. Right. You know, yes. he was the top wrestler. He was the top baby face and he would be for the whole run of the 80s, basically, in the whole in the world. So basically, Piper, even though Piper was a heel, mostly, I guess, anyway, he probably went there and chose to be a heel because he didn't want to be an undercard baby face. I'm guessing. Right. He wanted to be the top heel. Would you say he was the top heel in WWF? Yeah, he, time? he was for he was for the time. But basically how the story went. So, you know, Vince contacted him in 1983. You know, when Vince was trying to get up a bunch of talents to build up his his wrestling empire. But Piper, you know, he insisted yeah. to to get his contract out with Jim Crockett before before his WF run. But then Piper, when he first started in the WF, he did start as a manager. So, you know, so basically Vince, I think what he saw first in Piper was his talking ability, was his getting people over, of which, is, which is his mic skills, you know. So, you know, he was uh, he was working with Dr. Dr. D. David Schultz. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and then eventually, after a little bit of time went away, um, Piper eventually became more of a focused full-time wrestler than he became a manager. And obviously, doing that, that's when he created his own Piper Pit segment um, during 1984, mm-hmm. and that really kind of started him off to be one of the biggest heels. Um, just you know, obviously doing that famous se- segment with Jimmy Snuka and the Coconut. Um, he had Bruno yes. say that yeah. there. Uh, so there is like a, a wrestling DVD out there. I think it was the Roddy Piper DVD that has all his Piper Pit segments. And boy, one of my favorites that I've ever saw was when he had, it was like Piper and he had Bruno San Martino and Bruno San Martino's son on the Piper Pit segment. And boy, was this guy, he was just ripping them to shreds. Holy moly. This guy was just going off like... You know, you're riding on your dad's coattails. Your dad can't do shit no more and stuff. And that eventually led to a uh, a steel cage match between the two of them uh, from Roddy Piper and, and Bruno Sanmartino, February 8th, 1986 at the Boston Gardens with Piper lost. But the, it, it, I'll see if I can find that segment and play it on the YouTube. But boy, the, he was just fucking going to town on this Bruno guy. It was it was intense. So. So, yeah, th- and this... Yeah, this yeah, yeah, this this would eventually lead to Piper uh, eventually doing a big storyline with Hulk Hogan. And then that started the whole Cindy Lauper, the MTV stuff. 
and that you know did the war to set up the score on the Saturday nights uh, on the on the main event, uh, and then this would eventually lead to WrestleMania one, and that that's pretty much where Piper is on fire right here. He is the main villain of the whole territory, pretty much I would say one of the biggest main villains in pro wrestling during this time. Um, and of course, you know, he was, is Piper, Cowboy Bar, Bob Orton versus Hulk Hogan and Mr. T at the very first WrestleMania. And that's when a lot of eyes were on the Piper, a lot of eyes were on the wrestling promotions, um, uh, WWF at this time too, kind of a make or break type of deal. So then, you know, obviously he would go on to WrestleMania 2 to do a boxing match with Mr. T. So Piper is getting a lot more celebrity, uh, you know, he's getting known a lot more. He's on MTV now. He's probably on, like, the news cycles and stuff. You know, Piper is making his name out there as being one of the biggest heels. And this would eventually lead to, um, you know, WrestleMania three, where he would, uh, uh, Piper would come back, has, like, a baby face uh, during this time for WrestleMania three, doing the hair versus hair match with um, Adonis. And this is where John Carpenter would meet. Ratty Piper for the first time, which was at WrestleMania three. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much how we got. So basically, John Carpenter, he liked the Roddy Piper character, like he liked his wrestling persona, and he liked Roddy Piper himself as a man. And he thought, you know, mm-hmm. what better for this movie that I want to want to do? Has you know, seeing this character who looks like he's been through a lot of stuff in his life. He looks like he's been traveled. He looks like a man who's been through a lot of shit. And that's what I want for yes. this character for Nada. I want a guy who looks like and he's been through and he's been in real life through, through a lot of shit and that he can handle himself. So that's pretty much how the Roddy Piper and John Carpenter relationship started was at that WrestleMania where they met each other and then John Carpenter just thought of that when he was starting to make this movie they live, he just thought of Roddy Piper has a great person for the role for Nada. Was this Piper's first movie role? Um, I think it was. I'm not exactly sure about that. I didn't really find that in my research, but I okay. think uh, if I'm guessing this, it, it's either this or was he in? I don't think he was in. Um, oh, what's that movie? Um, uh, with Hulk Hogan and um, fuck, I forgot the fucking movie. Um, uh, if it's a movie with Hulk Hogan, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> No, it's the, uh, the, I don't think, you know, the wrestling movie that they made, Hulk Hogan and, um, the guy from Friday. No holds barred. Oh, uh, no holds barred. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't, yeah. If he is, he's just playing a wrestler in that. Yes. But cause I know at some point Piper wanted to not really be a wrestler anymore. And you can kind of see that because you can kind of see him moving out of wrestling a whole lot. Yes. Um, even during this time, even before he made this movie, he yes. was like, yeah, let me uh, let me talk. And then I'll be in a tag team with three other people. And then I'll get in the ring a little bit. But, you know, let me just not really wrestle too much. Yeah, because, um, um, you know, after WrestleMania 2, you know, a couple months after that, he took a big leave of absence from WWE. Like yeah. he didn't, you know, he didn't really come back until um, August twenty third, nineteen eighty six. So he he took a little bit of a month off, and like I said, he was kind of like maybe transitioning to do something else, and then he just got this role, kind of like when he came back, and then kind of like after WrestleMania um, three, he was approached yeah. for for doing the role and everything. So right. Plus, we're looking at like mid eighties. You know, he was in his early to mid thirties. He probably thought. Well, he was he was about thirty, I guess. So he thought he probably thought that he was getting near the end of his career anyway. 
you know, yeah. now people wrestle are into their fifties, apparently, or older, apparently even, but, um, yeah, a little in, different. in the case of Ric Flair, but, um, yeah, I'd probably say like yeah, a lot of, probably, I'd probably say a lot of wrestlers. Getting the end. Yes. Yeah. That's just like you're saying. I'd probably say a lot of wrestlers during this particular time was probably like, okay, maybe if I make it to 30, 38 or 40, I can bow out to grace gracefully. Yeah. You know, unlike nowadays where they don't fucking leave until like they're maybe 60, 65 sometimes. Right. Which is why he wanted to go make movies. And then he, he went and made a few movies, um, which I think he is a better actor than uh, the roles that he got. Um, you know, this was a great movie. He was also in Hell Comes to Frogtown, and he's been in a bunch of TV shows. So I think he did pretty successfully in movies until he went back to, I guess he, when he came back to wrestling, he went to WCW, right? No, no. When he came back to wrestling, he went back to the, uh, the WWF, and he did that run with Goldust. At the WrestleMania. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like okay. around 90s, 96 and stuff. Yeah, and I watched a, a pay-per-view the other day just randomly from Louisville, and he was on that uh, doing promo stuff with uh, Cornette. Yes. Which was about eight, which about 96, I guess, because Stone Cold was on it. So, um, so yeah, so he, he, so right, he came back, and then he would go back to – Maybe it's 95 because 96 would have been NWO and he came back to fight the NWO, right? Yes. Yeah, that's why, that's why they brought him in in 96 to fight the NWO. Got it. So, and also, too, you know, some of the films he did before he did They Live, he did The One and Only from 1978. Doesn't really have a credited role in it, but he was playing Joel uh, Leatherneck. And then he was in the <laughs> 1986 movie Body Slam. For he was, Which is he about was, wrestling? Yes. Yeah, so, apparently, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, he played like Rick Quick Rick Roberts. <laughs> awesome. And then he was in, of course, like you said, Hell Comes to Frogtown. And then, of course, on the same year, he did They Live as well, too. So, mm. so yeah, that's a little bit about Roddy Piper. Obviously, I think he did a really good job in this movie. Um, yeah. I didn't realize how jacked he was, too, because Roddy Piper, when I looked at him, he was never like a body guy. But, boy, was he jacked for this movie. That's that is it is crazy to think about because you know I mean I wasn't following his career really during this time, but you know when you watch WrestleMania like one like he doesn't look, you know he doesn't look really jacked you know he's more of a he's I mean he's larger than CM Punk I guess but he's you know he's not huge but in this movie he's fucking huge yeah huge um, like huge and and I think that um, I know that he'd made a statement like a few years before he died. Well, maybe 20 years before he died, but he's, he was made a statement about steroids and he probably was doing steroids around this time. Yeah. Um, you know, to get, to get to that size that he felt like he needed to be, to be an action star, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I can, I can see that. Definitely. But yeah, that's about Roddy, little, little stuff about Roddy Piper. We thought we'd give you guys a little bit of history on the Roddy Piper before we do the whole review, you know? So it's definitely, definitely one of the best characters of the eighties. Um, when it oh, comes yeah. to pro wrestling, I mean, you, you every time you have Roddy Piper on your screen, even in a match, you know you're going to get a lot of real. He kind of reminds me of like a modern day like Ambrose in a way, you know, just freaking wild wrestler, mm. you know, not the most catches catch can wrestler on the mat, but could definitely go out there and brawl with the best of them. Um, he can piss off people in the crowd. He can make people in the crowd love him. So definitely one of the biggest figures of the '80s was the Roddy Piper. That's a good analogy. I, never, I wouldn't. I wouldn't a comparison. I wouldn't have thought of that because what I was thinking of was you know how CM Punk always says that 
he was really influenced by Piper and that he, you know, he's, he, he kind of modeled himself after what Piper was where he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but, but it, but he could, but he, but his mouth was, was big. Yeah. But ironically, I, I see MJF as more of a Rowdy, Roddy Piper now. I can see that. Although he's probably a better technical wrestler. Um, but yeah, CM Punk's biggest rival MJF is, uh, I, I think is more like Piper is. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the promos. Yes, for sure. So, let's get into some of the metal history. What was happening around the release date of They Live? So, we're in November. All right, November 4th, 1988. We just got done with Halloween of 1988. Uh, We're about to be entering Thanksgiving of this year. Um, So, I couldn't find too much stuff. Like, one of the things I did find, apparently, if we were around the New York area, we would probably be seeing King Diamond live because he played, Ooh. yes, King Diamond played live at the Ritz, New York City on November 4th, 1988, right when this movie came released. Um, of course, you know, King Diamond, we talked about him before a lot on this show. He's like a retro blood uh, stable. Um, you know, obviously a great show presence with King Diamond. You know, a lot of theatrical uh, gothic stuff on the stage. You know, great singer. Uh, you know, great stage presence. Um, the, this 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 whole concert is actually on YouTube, so maybe I'll play it on our YouTube channel so everybody can give a listen to it. Uh, definitely something fun to go check out uh, during uh, 1988, uh, King Diamond. But um, something also too we found was, um, you know, we like to talk about albums and stuff during this time as well. And apparently, the band that we talked about here before, Death. Yes. They released their album, Leopardy. Um, They released it a couple uh, weeks after this movie aired. So they released their album on November 16th, 1988. But, you know, tell us a little bit about Death over here, Allison. We know we talked about them um, before being one of the first death metal bands. But tell us a little bit about Death and this Leprosy album. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's kind of controversial because Death is considered maybe the first death metal band even though we know that's not really true um but um they i mean death was a band they're like one of those legendary bands um they're like um they're they're like and i'll i'll, I'll destroy this guy's name i can never say it right but chuck Sheldon Sheldoner, i think's the guy's name the singer like he's like he's a you know singer guitar player songwriter like he's he's just an incredible talent like he's like one of those that's like a one in a million talent and it has nothing to do or not, not so much to do with like, he just learned to play guitar really well or whatever. Like he just understood it. Like he just understood music. He understood what the death metal sound he was trying to create sounded like. And he was really, really, really good at putting all this together. And I mean, death is one of the best bands of all time. I mean, if you, I, I hate, I always hate people who like, I hate, I hate the, the guy that's like, well, if you don't like this movie, then you just don't like movies. But like, if you don't like death, then I don't really see how you could be a death metal fan if you don't like death. I mean, they're like, they're like, they're perfect. I mean, they're, they're fantastic, fantastic man. Um, but Leprosy was one of their early albums. It's not their first one, I don't believe. No, but it's one their of their second early album. albums. Their second album, yes. Um, but it, it, it's, it's better than the first one. It, it had better production. They spent more time on it. Um, but it has some really good, um, uh, songs on it like Born Dead and Left to Die and Leprosy. 
Um, those are some that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, they have a really cool logo too with the with the Grim Reaper scythe. Yep. Yeah, their logo was great. Um, they're just like they're just a fantastic band. Everybody should if you like metal, you should listen to Death. For yeah, sure, and of course we'll play a song really after good. this uh, after this podcast ends. But um, of course we will. So so the album, oh, go ahead. one thing. No, I was gonna say one more thing. So like, and then like he's Chuck's also famous for being uh, one of the. I guess less famous um, advocates for uh, healthcare for musicians. Um, because I don't know. I mean, do you know his story at all or should I recap that for the people or yeah, you can recap it? Okay. Cause I mean, he, cause he basically got a brain tumor um, and he didn't know it for a long time. And then he went to a doctor uh, and, and he was a musician. So he didn't have health insurance, of course, you know, cause, musicians in the 80s early 90s didn't have health insurance unless you were famous um so you know he gets he gets a brain tumor and he goes to a doctor and then they they try to treat it um and then he finally finds a way to pay for health insurance and then his health insurance wouldn't cover the surgery that he needed because he had the tumor before he got the health insurance because back then before you know obamacare passed they would they could they could you know, they would just wouldn't pay if you had a pre-existing condition. They didn't cover pre-existing conditions. So, you know, he, he ended up dying from, from cancer, uh, from this brain tumor because he couldn't, he couldn't afford healthcare. And that's one of the things that spurred the movement in the nineties for, to set up music cares and like groups like that, that could help out musicians with their healthcare costs. Um, but yeah, so he's also kind of famous for that too. There you go. That's awesome. That's a that's a very uh, great thing to have, especially you know, you know, because you know they're just like us. They everybody needs the healthcare. You know, that's something we could bring up during the they 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 live too. That's yeah, how they're stopping all that. But this album yeah. is also notable in its different tone and quality from the band's 1987 debut. So it is the first example of Scott Burns' work heard on many of the death metal and grindcore albums of that era. So the cover featured in Metal, A Headbanger's Journey, is, is the first album to feature drummer Bill Andrews and, and the only one to feature guitarist Rick Rose or Roz. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's also, too, this, this album, uh, Leprosy, was also voted number one of the 25 most important death metal albums of all time by the, uh, by the uh, Rock Hard magazine, the German Rock did Hard you, magazine. Did you, did you say number one? Yeah, it was voted number one. Are the most yeah, twenty five I mean, most sense. important death death battles of all time. So yeah, for sure. Um, and and it was produced by Scott Burns. I di- I actually didn't know that. Scott Burns, uh, for the people who don't know, is a really famous death metal producer. He produced nearly every death metal band from Florida. Yeah, around this time, uh, Cannibal Corpse, um, all of them for the most part. Obituary. He produced all those records. Um, one of the best produced metal producers of all time. Um, he doesn't produce music anymore. He's a computer engineer now. I think. Um, but yeah, so that Scott Burns sound is definitely a, uh, uh, it's definitely a thing. Like you can hear, a, if you listen to a Scott Burns record, you you know what it sounds like. It's just like this heavy, thick sound. It's fantastic. Some good shit, brother. So, um, a couple of the track listings, we got Leprosy, the, the, mm-hmm. the main title on the first track, Born Dead, Forgotten Past, Left to Die, Pull the plug, open cast it, primitive ways, and choke on it, brother. 
So all of them have their all different uh, style sounds, but we'll be playing some of the uh, the death um, at the end of the show, everybody. So check them out if you haven't too. The Leprosy album is definitely fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely a uh, a good uh, and they also have a good show too. Definitely, definitely good live. So, but let's get into some of these protection notes on they live. Um, there's some uh, some fun things I was finding when I was doing my research on they live. Um, so apparently, the idea for they they live came from a short story called Eight O'clock in the Morning. By Ray Nielsen. Have you ever heard that short story before? Nope. No, I have nothing about that. Okay. So basically, it's a, it's a story where the <laughs> the character, he is, it's kind of like, it's also like a, a form of like an alien invasion, kind of like invasion of the body snatchers. Okay. So which Nielsen, along with artist Bill Ray, they also wrote, they adapted the story called Nada, and they published it in the Alien Encounters comics anthology in april 1986 so the eight o'clock morning story is basically like a, a story that was published in the magazine of Fa- fantasy and science fiction in november 1963 and it involves an alien invasion and it's basically very similar to how they live is where the the alien invasion is taken all over and stuff it's basically like they live without the politics stuff right right so that's basically how the uh that story it contained it basically it has a the hero on there he basically has until uh eight o'clock in the morning to solve the problem of um of a cre- alien creatures taking over and controlling humanity so he has he's on a short time period to stop these uh aliens from being awakened so how it works is carper he describes nielsen's story has a doa type of story in which in which a man is put in a trance by a stage hypnotist when he awakens, he realizes that the entire human race has been hypnotized and that the alien creatures are controlling humanity. He is only until, he is only until 8 o'clock in the morning to solve the problem. So he has until 8 o'clock in the morning to solve the problem. Carpenter acquired the film rights to both the comic book and the short story, and then he wrote the screenplay using Nathan's story as a basis for the film structure. So, so basically... So, go ahead. Was this, so wait a minute. So... I have a question. So mm-hmm. he, so the story is that the main character, um, uh, what is his name? It doesn't matter. The main story, is, the main, the main character is hypnotized. Yes. But then he wakes up from hypnosis and he realizes that everyone is hypnotized except for him. Yeah. So basically, I guess what it okay. is is the man, um, and the, the story is put into a trance by a stage hypnotist. So yeah. when he is awakened from this hypnotize, being hypnotized, he now realizes that I guess like maybe the when he woke up, something in his brain came to be mm. or something, and now he realizes the entire human race has been hypnotized now, like he was, but he broke out of it, like he woke up, and now he realizes that See. the alien creatures are controlling humanity, and he only oh, has okay. until eight o'clock in the morning to solve this problem, brother. Mm. I like the sunglass idea better. Yeah, the sunglass and the contact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So you know, a lot of this story was also you know influenced by H.B. Lovecraft, which uh, especially the character of Frank in this movie. Um, he was um, he was uh, a character that John Carpenter personally made for this film. Um, and he also too he he credits that character to being very character like the Henry character from the Dunwich Horror. Mm-hmm. 
So, and, and Carpenter also likes the worldviews of uh, Lovecraft as well. And we see a lot of the worldviews and all the underneath hidden stories of these gods repressing but coming back. And he uses that a lot on this They Live. So, mm. um, yeah. so we talked about how Roddy Piper was cast for this film. But uh, Keith Davids, who was Childs in The Thing, um, he liked his performance. Obviously, Carpenter was, liked you know, Keith, Keith Davids' uh, performance in The Thing. And he wanted a, a good sidekick to Roddy Piper's character. So that's when he personally came up and he personally picked Keith Davids. And he personally picked and made the Frank character specifically for Keith David. So... Um, the They Live was also shot in eight weeks during March and April of 1988. Uh, one look, pretty much, pretty much in one lo- location, downtown Los Angeles, and it was on a budget of slightly greater than three million. Which is three crazy. million dollars. Yes, that's insane. If you, I mean, that's like nothing. Even in 1988, that's nothing. Yes. Um, but yeah, because so we thought about it. So it with Trier, um, so we talked about last week. The thing uh, was a was a flop. Um, because it just didn't make enough money. Yeah. Because um, he spent fifteen million dollars to make that. So his his goal this time was to spend less money. I assume. Of course, he'd had two movies between this. He, he he directed Christine, which was a success, and then he created Starman, which was another flop. Yeah. So then, so then now four years later, he's doing they they live, and so his goal, I guess, this time was to spend as little money as he could in hopes that he could get a hit. Yeah. I think they, they live only gross $10 million, but it was a hit. No, 13. $3 million to make it. Oh, 13, yeah. yeah. So it was a huge hit, I mean, by, by comparison. So yeah. he went back to the horror movie route, right? That, that's the horror movie thing, right? You you don't – horror movies are always a success because they cost so, they cost so little to make mm-hmm. that you can always make their money back. Um, you know, like, like Paranormal Activity is an example. Like the guy spent, you know, $100,000 to make that, and then it grossed like $20 million. Um, or more, a hundred million dollars maybe, but um, but yeah. So he 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 went into this like he did Halloween, where he's like, I, I want to spend as little money as I can. Um, and he made a great movie for three million dollars. That's astounding. Yes, yeah, especially with some of the effects they were using. Now it wasn't yeah. as much as on the effects as they did in the thing, but no. you know, I thought that they did pretty good on some of the effects. But I could see how you can keep this movie under three million. You know, with only lo- lo- doing central location shot there's a lot of like alley shots in this movie a lot of alley shots a lot of shots yeah. that you probably didn't really have to um it, it, you didn't have to really dress up too much because right. i mean that's pretty much what downtown los angeles probably looks like they probably just like okay yeah. this looks good and grindy and shit let's just film here yeah i mean i was just there so it doesn't look exactly like that but also the special effects like we were talking about the special effects i mean let's be real i mean the special effects for the aliens in this um, like you could like you know how it goes like when he's looking through the glasses that it goes into the uh, I don't know I guess it's black and white yeah black and white yeah maybe it's monochrome yeah so um and you can tell that the costumes for the aliens were really 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 cheap um I mean they're like so cheap that they're like costumes that we could make if we were making a movie and the fact that he switched it to the monochrome it kind of hides that a little bit because you know the alien skin is clearly just you know, a tight fabric that they pull over their arms and then they have a rubber mask that barely moves. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, you could see where the money went when he made the thing versus making this movie. Yes, definitely. So obviously the music was made by John Carpenter and Alan Halfworth. 
Um, he yep. pretty much makes all his music for his movies, and they always all his music always sounds good too. It's very very good that goes with his style of movie and his style of production. Yeah, I agree. All right, everybody, that's enough about the production. Let's get into the full review of They Live. They Live. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth. Take a look. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them. They're everywhere. We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like Tattletail. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. All right, so we start off. We have uh, Piper, who is apparently his, his name is Nada throughout the whole film. <laughs> so I didn't really get his name throughout the whole film, so I just wrote Piper they, in all my notes. But that's fine because they never say his name. I think it just says Nada in the credits, which you yeah. know means nothing. <laughs> yeah, um, they don't even so, say his name or anything like that during the whole thing. No. So we're just walking around. Obviously, you could see that he is uh, uh, just got to town. Basically, and he goes to the. Uh, it looks like the uh, the the place to find employment, and he's asking mm-hmm. the people. And the lady, I was like, "Okay, what's your last place of employment?" He's like, "Well, I was in Denver for ten years, but you know, all the all the stuff, all fourteen banks just dried up in one week. So there's it kind of dried up. There. There's nothing out there for me anymore." And she's like, "Okay, well, I have nothing available for you, so keep looking." I was like, "All right." So then he gets more walking around and everything. He's, he, he, we can, uh, uh, we hear like when he's walking around, we hear this preacher in the background saying like, you know, like they, they're putting the fear of God. Uh, uh, there's snakes all around us and stuff. People are not what they, your leaders and stuff are not who they see to be and everything. So we basically, we're showing like one of those like street corner priest guys who are, are, who are saying the doom. So we have some people yeah, listening to it's like to a them. street preacher. Yes. But this one's very interesting because he's a blind one, and he, you know, most of the time he's just saying stuff that you know street preachers say, they just, and people just walk around them and stuff. But he is saying some interesting stuff about like how the leaders are not who they say they are, and their spirits are all coming around and stuff. So another thing we see a lot in this movie is like TV commercials. So the 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 good underline of this movie is basically showing how. Uh, how these aliens are controlling people by like advertisement by by glitz and glamour by like a, you know by tv shows and stuff so and then we can see how the uh, the poor you know are just kind of have to be the uh the, the casualties for everybody trying to be rich yes exactly 
which which we will talk about as we get more into this movie. But this is like so on the nose for yeah. things that were happening at the time and things that the way people look at things that happened then, the way they look at them now and how they were completely different than they really are or they really were. But yeah, well, I mean, I'll we'll bring I'll mention that later on in the movie when we get to the speech part and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah so just remember this as you're listening to this. The things that we're talking about now. We'll come back later in this episode, so just remember that. So also, too, you know, he's, tatching a, he's passing a bunch of TVs and stuff. We see one girl talking about how she wants to be famous. She doesn't want to grow old. She just wants to be famous, and that's her, like, life goal. So she's giving out these messages of, like, hey, you should want to be like me. You should want to be famous. You should want to be on TV. You should be on the news, and she would never want to grow old. So now Piper uh, – should I say Nada or Piper? I would just say Piper because okay. he doesn't technically – he doesn't really have a name. We w- we would watch this whole movie and not know his name. So we'll yeah, call him Piper. Yeah, if we would have saw this in fucking 1988, that motherfucker's Piper. I don't know who yep. the hell Nada is. So no. Piper is at the construction site and he's basically looking for some work. And the guy's like, "Oh, he's like, this is a union job." He's like, "Okay." He's like, "Well, can I speak with the uh, the the shop steward?" Mm-hmm. All right. And then uh, the next thing we know, we see a jacked Piper. I didn't even recognize him at first when he was doing this fucking uh, construction. And this is also, too, when we see Frank, he's over there in a purple shirt. And the fucking Piper is just, you know, doing this whole construction with his shirt off. And this guy was, like, jacked. It kind of reminded me of that, uh, that wrestling album the, where all of them are on the uh, construction website. Yes. <laughs> so they're all doing, they're all, you know, just working and stuff. And um, after they're done, um, the, the site manager says, like, hey, no sleeping at this site, you know. You got to go find somewhere else to sleep. And Piper's like, well, let me ask you a question. When am I going to get paid? He's like, Thursday. Said, All right. So Frank comes off to him, comes up to him and is like, hey, man, I got a place where you could stay, you know, if you want to stay the night or something. And Piper just kind of blows him off a little bit. He's like, whatever, man. So then eventually we see Frank walking, and then uh, Piper eventually follows him. And then Frank's like, why are you following me? I didn't, I didn't know why people are following me. He's always like, you know, I just want to go check out this neighborhood. So they eventually get to this whole like neighborhood where basically it looks like a homeless camp, um, you know, for a lot of people who are, are are on the poor side, you know. So it's this whole big poor community. You know, they have like tents and stuff and stuff, but it's very like a very poor community. Um, it's like a homeless camp. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. But, you know, obviously they feed them and everything. There's a lot of food going on there. And of course, Frank ended um, um uh, Piper are both hungry during this time. And this is when they meet Gilbert. He is kind of like the one of the the leaders of this homeless camp. Um, and he says like, "Oh, yeah, man, you got some tools in that bag?" He's like, "Yes." He's like, "Good. I got the showers need to be fixed." All right. So they go get some fruit, food, and everything. And um, this is when we get some talking between Frank and then Piper. You know, Frank's just saying like, "You know, I haven't seen my kids. They live in Detroit. I haven't seen them for six months." Um, I've been working at the steel companies, you know, pretty much my whole life. A lot of them are going under and it just seems like every time these steel companies go under, even when we're on strike and stuff, they just got their pocketbooks richer and they're like bringing it out on this common man. And mm-hmm. he's just like, he's, yeah. he's just saying basically like, you know, I'm tired of all these steel mills going down and stuff. You know, if I have another rich steel person come up to me and tell me to get off, I'm going to go off on them. And he's like, you know what they say, man, if you have, whoever has the gold, has the power. So we're getting some of that talking where, you know, the rich are obviously taking over and they're not caring about the poor at all. So we have uh, Frank, he's talking about, you know, the, the, how, like this life is like a cruel life. 
you know, life is really funny like that. You know, they bring you out there and they just want to make fun of you and be cruel to you and stuff. And then Piper's like, well, you know, I say Piper's like, I, I kind of believe in hard work. You know, I feel like if I hard work and I do hard work, eventually stuff will work out. You got to be a little bit more optimistic. Mm-hmm. So this is when we see uh, that he's walking by some of the camp and we have some of the people watching TV. It's like a nails commercial. And then, bam, all of a sudden, there's like the scientist guy just rambles on about a bunch of stuff. Like, you are all sleeping. This is not real. This is not a real reality. Um, they're taking over you. They use these signals and stuff. We're basically, we're getting the whole plot <laughs> from the whole movie from this one hacker guy. And everybody's right. watching the TV. It's just like, oh, what the fuck is this guy? So... Um, and yeah, and then he's just saying all the stuff about this conspiracies and how they're taking over and how everybody's sleeping and everything. And then, and then he's like, they also do these transmissions and then everybody starts getting headaches on there too. Uh, and then now we can also, when we're, when we're seeing that, we also see the, 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 the preacher from earlier, he is now re- repeating everything. How the TV stuff is going on too. So it's like, it looks like they're like connected. And then eventually, uh, later on, uh, Piper sees the Gilbert and the father arguing. All right? And the next, the next morning when Piper wakes up, he goes up to Gilbert. And he is asking, you know, the Gilbert about, um, you know, w- w- why were you and the priest in that room, or, you know, in that church choir, um, like, all night? He's like, well, we're making food for a lot of people in the camps. It's like until four in the morning. He's like, there's a lot of people here. So we're seeing that. <laughs> Gilbert and this preacher are hiding something. Yep. So let's see. They are talking uh, more about uh, people in middle class now. Uh, so now that the we get more of that transmission um, of the hacker guy on there, and he's you know talking about more about you know people in the middle class. They're, they're they used to have a lot of middle class, and a lot of middle class are coming to poor now. Um, only the rich are, are seem to be taking care of everything, and it's a whole a whole big conspiracy about hmm. seeing a lot more people get into the middle class, uh, more than the poor class. Interesting. Yes. So as we see how this goes. Yeah. So we're seeing that there's a section of people who can see what's going on, and then they're trying to warn the other people. But you, just kind of like like in life, um, you know, a lot of people just they just kind of go on with their daily lives. And not well question the authority, right? Yeah. At this point, though, we think that they're kooks, right? We think yes. that they're just crazy people, and that this is not really happening. Yes, and eventually, now Piper is now going to the church because he feels like something's up with this mm-hmm. church, and he's looking around in the church area, and he sees that there's a bunch of equipment, and <laughs> it sounds like choir singing, but there's nobody in the choir singing. It's just a, it's just a, it's like a, a ploy. It's, it's like stereo equipment playing the choir music. Yes. And he's just looking around stuff. Eventually goes through a door and he sees a bunch of shipments of some boxes. And then we have uh, people in this room, including Frank. They're, they're pretty much planning something. Um, but a lot of them just want to be careful um, and, not, and not go further with it. <clears throat> Frank's with them at this point? Uh, I thought I saw Frank in the room, but it could have been somebody else. But I thought I saw Frank. In okay, because I mean, maybe because, but then remember, he has to convince Frank later on that this is happening. Yes. Don't wait. Don't the people in the church they know about the aliens, right? I assume some of them do, but maybe some of them don't. Maybe maybe they don't. Maybe, or maybe, maybe I think maybe Frank knew about it, but he didn't want to get involved. Maybe so. Mm, maybe. All right. Anyway, continue. So this is also too when the 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 priest he eventually finds 
a Piper and he kind of questions them a little bit and and uh, Piper's like, oh, I just got to get out of here. I just, you know, neighborhood watch and stuff. And, and then he eventually leaves. And, and the, the, the priest was trying to give him some advice. All right, so now this is when... Um, so this is when uh, Gilbert, he's been talking to his crew and stuff, and he's been hearing stuff around the street and about, you know, possibly the world ending. Uh, you know, the possibly the, the world being uh, uh, coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Because of all this corruption that's been happening, and this whole time we have a helicopter flying around, and then uh, then we get like after the the people f- helicopter flying around. This is when a piper he's just like keeping his uh, his eyes on that church because he knows something's going on within that church, but he can't really figure it out. And this is how I knew Frank kind of made me note it because he goes up to him, he's like, "Hey man, what are you doing?" He's like, "I'm checking out this church and stuff." He's like, "Hey man, just." I would just leave this stuff alone. So to me, it feel it feels like Frank doesn't want to get involved. Like he might know what's going on, but he doesn't want to get involved with this because he doesn't want to have bad stuff happen to him. And if it happens to him, then his kids and his wife won't have any money coming to him. Well, right. He just doesn't. Yeah, right. Exactly. He doesn't want to get involved. Yes. So eventually, we it's nighttime and Piper's still looking at the whole church. And eventually, he looks up at the helicopter, and the helicopter is a police officer with a gun. And this is when we see everybody from the actual church uh, escape. And this is when we get a big police. They all come over there. They're like tearing up the freaking. They're tearing up the church. They're tearing up the uh, the homeless camps. They're just tearing up everything um, because they. I guess they feel like there's something being threatened for them at this at this particular church at this time. Right. So eventually, we see Piper kind of like going all around. First, he's calm, and then he's just walking around, seeing what's happening. Uh, eventually, he sees the father and the guy who was doing the hacking. They are eventually killed by the police officers. And this is when he goes and hides into a house with this blonde guy. And then uh, we see a scene of this guy. is like, uh, this guy smoking. He's like, join the party. And the guy was all like, it's like World War Three out there now. <laughs> so they get out. And, and then after that, Piper kind of like, after he's done hiding from everything, he looks out and he can see all the, uh, con- all the destruction. And then uh, they could see them like gathering up some clothes and everything, and then we hear some uh, some more commercials about how like the the eighties is going to be a big fashion statement. No, the they're they're talking. This is commercial talk about how the nineties are going to be a big fashion statement, and all mm-hmm. that goes around too. And then after this, you know, Piper he goes looks to the church. You know, obviously there's nobody there because they have all been killed. Um, and then this is eventually when he breaks into that 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 little shipment behind the wall that he, that he got from earlier. And this is where he finds his sunglasses and he's looking confused for the sunglasses. And it's yeah, weird. He finds he, a whole box of sunglasses. Yeah. Cause he takes that box and he gets out of the church at first and he goes into an alley and he looks at the whole box. And he looks for the sunglasses. Like what the hell is this? It's just fucking sunglasses. And there are sunglasses in there. Yeah. Right. So he takes one pair. He puts the other one into a trash can. And then he starts walking and he eventually puts on the sunglasses and now he's keeps seeing signs around everywhere. So when he puts on the sunglasses, we see like this computer sign and it says obey. And then yep. next thing he looks and says, you know, take a trip to the uh, come to the Caribbean. And it says marry and reproduce. So every time he puts the glasses on, he can see the true meaning behind each uh, subliminal message behind signs and, and magazines and TVs. And then when he does that, he looks at the magazine section, you know, 
can't, can't believe what he's saying. A lot of it says sleep, obey, do what you're told. Um, and then when he eventually looks at somebody paying, he can finally see the first creature. So we first get the mm. first instance of this creature. What do you think these creatures look like? They kind of look like uh, like humans. I think they're like cool. Melty. Yeah. Well, I, they have like I I thought they had like a skull face. Yes. You know, like there's no skin on their face. Like I I think they're cool. Like I love this kind of thing. I mean, but when people watch this now, they're probably going to think it's you know it's cheap, and it was it was cheap even then. But I I just I like this real old school monster look that they used. It was really it's really awesome. I mean, that could have been made in the fifties yes. or the sixties. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, then that guy who he first saw has the, um, has the creature. He's like, like, you know, what's your problem? What's your problem? And everything. He keeps looking at him all funny. And then eventually the magazine guy's like, you going to pay for this? And then it just, he keeps seeing like stuff on the, on the TVs. He keeps seeing sleep, sleep, you know, we're, we're in control, stuff like that. Uh, he sees a bunch of like human creatures getting their hair done. So he's basically seeing that every kind of like higher class person is one of these creatures. That's what we're seeing right. when he has these sunglasses on. Yeah. So this is when he Piper goes to the um, to the grocery store and he's looking around and everything and he's like, looking at all these people and he can kind of tell that you know when he's when he has these glasses on he can tell who are the creatures and who are actually human. And we have a couple people walking around. Like we could tell that the uh, a lot of the creatures are, are the ones that are rich. Like they're getting like the promotions. They're getting the good the good food and stuff. And um, and then eventually Piper looks up on the station and you can see like this new broadcast saying like how great all the leaders are. Everybody trusting all your leaders. All your leaders will tell you exactly what you need to know. And of course Piper's like I figured it would come to this. And then he eventually runs into an old lady. <laughs> And then, like, the is this lady... where he's in the store. Yeah, he's in the grocery store. Yeah, the... this is one of the this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, then he, he bumps into the old lady. <laughs> you know, like, and he's oh, in full me. Piper mode. Right he's here. in full he's Piper mode. Full, like... full Piper promo mode. Right here. He's all like, he's all like, he look, bumps into her. He's like, you look, you look like you you feel. <laughs> he's like, you look like you <laughs> fell in the cheese dip in 1985. <laughs> Huh. Or nineteen uh, fifty-seven, <laughs> and she's like, "You're just, you know, you just put on your ugly." And then he's like, "Call him all ugly and everything like that." There's like one part at the end where he's like, he turns around at the guy that's behind the counter. He's like, "You, you look fine." <laughs> yeah, but you, and then she, then he has something else to say to that lady, and it's I don't know, it's this shit's fucking hilarious. It's so it's so funny. Yeah, he's like, "You're fine," to be, but it is. Yeah, you're fine. He's like, "You're fine." She's fine. This one over here is still ugly. <laughs> and then he falls down. And then and then like one the one now we see that the old lady that he was making fun of has a watch. And she's like, okay, this one can see me. Uh what he looks like. He's a, a tall male, hair and stuff, and uh, he can see he could see he he can he's woke he woke up basically, he could see me. And then Roddy Piper leaves over there. Um and then all of them keep staring, like the people now realize that he can stare stare at them. All right, yeah, because he was all like, you know, this one's real ugly. And when I put on these glasses close up, uh, they get even uglier. So, and also, too, this is when he's walking outside and everything. <laughs> and then, like, uh, one of the funny parts I said, like, <laughs> where I saw that he was walking down and he sees one of them, like, one of the creatures looking and fixing herself up in the mirror and putting perfume on. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you can't put perfume on a pig. <laughs> 
get him. It's so good. It's like you can't. He's, he's like, yeah. It's like it's like he's like you can't put perfume on a pig, or uh-huh. it's like putting perfume on a pig, or something like that. So now we have the cops. They're they're the creatures too, and they're cornering him. And then he's saying like, you know, what do you guys see? When, what do you guys do? You guys look as ugly when you look at us. And then he's like, it's yeah, man. He, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, the cop says something like, he's like, yeah, he's like, you, he's like, trust me, you look the same to us or something like that. Yeah, you look the same to us and stuff. And then, um, you know, we're gonna, uh, why don't we just go to this corner where let's talk it out and stuff. And mm-hmm. then uh, eventually the piper gets the upper hand on him. Um, he like knocks him out and he shoots the other cop as well too. Yeah. So we're starting to attack him now. And then he's all like, it's like, good, you die like us, you bastards. Yeah. So now he's a uh, to the to the rest of the movie he's somebody who just murdered two police officers yes so uh now he grabs like a shotgun and stuff and a nightstick and now he's go he goes inside a bank and this is when we get of course on the bank he has the sunglasses on we see everything obey we obey we could see who's the creatures who's not the creatures and this is when he does his famous line he's in there shotgun 80s hair sunglasses everything ready to kick some ass he's like i've come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out about this too is uh, this line has been copied so many times. Like so many people, I even have an enamel pin with Piper's face on it that says that. Yes, uh, I think it says I'm all out of bubble gum or something like that. Um, but um, he he delivers this line different than the people who imitate him, and it's so much better because he says it like really slow and really normal. Instead of being like over the top and crazy, like everybody else delivers it. Like I've heard it in indie wrestling where people deliver the line um, from from They Live. I don't even know if people even know it's from They Live anymore. But but yeah, he basically yeah he just he just says it's so calm. You know, it's not the Piper esque promo. It's it, it's just so calm where he's just like when he just says, "I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass," and I'm all out of bubble gum. Yeah, and that's basically just how he says it, like real calm like that. Um, although it's kind of weird that he ran into a bank with a shotgun because that's just <laughs> going to make his problem worse. But eh, he's like, fuck it at this point. So he starts shooting all the creatures and everything. Um, a couple of the creatures are call- saying like, hey, this one's seeing us and stuff. And they, they do his description. And Piper's mm-hmm. like, mama doesn't like tattletales. <laughs> <laughs> and then that one teleports. So now we can see yep. that some of them can teleport with their watches. With their watches. And then Piper eventually goes outside. Um, he sees like one of those drone things, and then he eventually shoots it down. Yeah, he's like, uh, "Whoa, yes. what do we have here, little guy?" or something like that. Yeah, typical Piper. Yeah. And then he eventually runs into a, a real human cop, and he just tells him to put his his uh, gun down and start beating your feet. So now we have yeah, this. Lady. He doesn't want to kill. He doesn't want to kill the actual cop. Yeah, exactly. He just wants to yeah. kill those creatures. Right. So the lady now, uh, we have this lady now walking into a garage. We find out her name is Holly. And then this is when Piper grabs her and says, like, you need to get out of here. And he looks at her, so she is human. Um, he tells her to drive, but not too fast. So she's driving. Cops go by. She says they're all gone. He's like, just keep driving. And we could t- tell at this time that, t- uh, that Piper looks a little, like, worn out. He's, like, a little tired and everything. He asks, like, you married? She says, yes. He's like, please don't lie to me. She's like, okay, no. He's like, you live alone? Let's go to your place. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. She's like, well, just just go. He's like, I must insist that we go. So they go to her place. We have some hairy looking dude. Mm-hmm. 
kind of looked like McCree a little bit. <laughs> out there, uh, just hanging out, and they could see Holly um, and go inside with this new guy. But they don't, they don't pay any attention to it. Uh, P- Pipe kind of falls down on the floor a little bit. Uh, he's, he's feeling like kind of quiet and stuff. And um, he's like, hey, you need to put, you know, put these glasses on and stuff. She's like, no, no. It's like, so basically they're going back and forth. Like, um, he's saying like, you know, um, so um, yeah, so she is, uh, he has the, 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 the glasses. He's saying that these glasses are making like his, his head and his, his head hurt. He's coming down off this from seeing everything. Um, uh, he said like, I needed you to get away and stuff. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm not sorry for what I did about shooting these, these guys down. Um, it's like, we got to find a way to stop them and stuff. And she's like, well, she's basically saying like, well, if I put on these glasses by the way you are right now, if I see what you see, if I don't see what you see, I'm going to agree with you anyway, because you're in charge right. because you have two guns. Right. Cause he's, yeah. And she's basically, so like, does oh, she, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, does, does he know she works for the, for the TV station or yeah, no, or no, she yet. hasn't said that yet. Okay, right. She's just a ra- random person at this point. Got yeah, it. he's just some girl that he got. He needed some help, so he got he kidnapped her to help her. Um, she's just like, okay, I will do whatever you want. Just don't hurt me. He's like, you don't really believe me and stuff. He's like, well, you're fighting the the evil force through these sunglasses. So now, like, you know, Piper's sitting down. Uh, he's about to like pass. She she thinks like you know Piper's about to pass out because you know when you wear these sunglasses after a while, it kind of messes up with your head. And she's about to go for him a little bit. And she's like, you know, he's like, don't try it. She's like, I'm thirsty. So she goes, gets the drink. And then this is when Piper is now asking. She's like, hey, what's your name? She's like, oh, my name is Holly Thompson. He's like, oh, that's a pretty nice name. Um, what do you do? She's like, I'm a pro, I'm assistant programmer director at the TV station 54. And he's like, oh, he says, oh, that's what they've been coming to. They've been coming to, to the, the TV station. So he gets up really quick to try and turn the TV station. And then Holly grabs the bottle that she had in her hand and knocks him down and knocks him out of the glass and f- he falls all the way down. Fucking knocks him good out there too, boy. That was a big bump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she knocks him out the window. Yeah, that's... Yes. He took a big bump. And then he seems to be fine after falling that, that distance. I mean, it had to be like 30 feet, 20 feet at least. Yeah. So now yeah. she's on so the phone and stuff. Now. Yeah, she's on the phone now, Holly is. She says she's all right. She says she's by 8634 Circle, uh, circle Drive. And uh, this is when Piper is now hiding out there. And then she's like, okay, I'll hold. <laughs> and this is when we have the police going on over here, too. And then, of course, the glasses that Piper have are now left at Holly's place. So Piper is kind of around now around. He's, he's, he's like feeling hurt and he's kind of cold. He's walking through the streets and everything. Um, Gotta find more glasses. Yes, yeah, so he's, he's trying to go back to his original shite, site to go find some more uh, glasses. Um, but he also goes up on, he also goes to the, to the work strike, to the, to the construction site where Frank was working at. Uh, Frank went to go get some water and Piper's like, Hey man, I've had a rough couple of days. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> no kidding. And then Frank's like, man, I can't be talking to you. You killed all those people, man. How many people did you kill? He's like, listen, man, there weren't people. He's like, I'm not getting involved with this. I got a wife and kids and I got to get, I got to get out of here, man. You can't be around here. Also, did you notice that the picture they show on TV of him, um, the wanted picture is like uh, from a from a is a screen capture, I think, from a wrestling promo. Yeah, yeah. Because it was like back when he had short hair. Yeah, a little shorter hair. Yeah, 
So now this is one uh, Piper. He's going back now. Obviously, we saw his uh, likeness on the TV. Um, mm. uh, then uh, he's trying to go get some more sunglasses, but the sunglasses have been put into a dump, uh, garbage truck. Yeah. It goes into the garbage truck, fixes them all out, and finally gets at least one pair of sunglasses. And he's having even more of a bad day. Um, so this is when we also we see Frank, I guess, finds Piper. He throws him some money. He's like, here, here's one week pay. You know, best I can do for you. So you got to go find some place to hide. And if, and then Piper's like, listen, man, you got to put these on. He's like, I'm trying to save you and your family. He's like, and then Frank's like, you couldn't even save yourself. How are you supposed to save my family? And then they go on and then they, they, he's like, put on these, put on these. And they start, they don't get close to me, man. And then they start fighting. And then they start fighting. He's like, you don't want to fight. You don't want to put, I don't want to fight. You just put these glasses on. You know, Frank's getting the upper hand. Um, this is when we have like, it's pretty much like a five or six minutes long fight scene. We have like clothes lines. We have back suplexes. We got punching. We got low blowing stuff going on. We got everything. So it's a, definitely a fun uh, fight scene. Yeah, it's like, and it, well, it's probably not one of the longest in the industry, but it's incredibly long. It's like, yes. I mean, this movie is only like 93 minutes long and six minutes of it are in this fight scene. Yes. And then, uh, you know, Frank, like, kneels him in the growing stuff. He's like, you dirty bastard. And he starts fighting him and stuff. He's trying to, he's, Frank is just trying to put the glasses on him. But every time he tries to, uh, no, uh, Piper's trying to put the glasses on Frank. But every time he tries to, Frank just keeps getting the upper hand on him. And eventually we figured out, you know, they, they do a sidewalk slam on him. Frank tells him to go fuck off. And he's about to smash his glasses, but he doesn't. Piper still gets back up and fights him, eventually slams him, and then he eventually forces to put the glasses on him. And now, um, when Frank gets up, he can see two of the creatures. Two of the creatures look at him, saying, like, oh, can they see us? Can they see us? And then eventually, Frank also sees one of the drones. And he says, uh, <laughs> eventually, Piper says, life's a bitch. And the, <laughs> and the bitch is in heat. So good. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if that's a Piper line or if that was in the script. <laughs> that sounds like a Piper line to me. That, that that's what I thought. That sounds like something Piper would say. But yeah, it's like it's the life's a bitch, and the and, and the bitch is in heat. Yes. So now they start walking around the town with the glasses, and of course they can see all the uh, subliminal messages throughout everywhere. And they eventually get up to a hotel room, and they check themselves in. So Frank uh, Frank's now looking outside, and this is when Piper tells, um, you know, says like, "Hey, don't be putting on those glasses too long. They're gonna make your brain feel like mush." Or like stab it like somebody stabbing your brain. Yeah, they give him a headache, right? Yeah, and then and then uh, Frank's like, man, where the hell did all these things that like, come from? Stuff. And then uh, Piper's like, well, they're not from Cleveland. <laughs> so from Cleveland. <laughs> so then they start arguing, like, what the fuck, man? What the you know? What the hell's going on here? You know, were they from a different planet? Why? Like, what, what are they? What are they trying to do? Like, they're trying to figure out what these things are and stuff. And he's like, well, there's still, she's like, we can't be the only ones out there. This is what Piper said. We can't be the only ones out there that can see these things. So we probably got to find somebody that who's seen the stuff like us. So now it's nighttime. We could see that uh, Frank is bringing some food in. And then this is when we see Gilbert. We see him back and he has the glasses on. And this is also too when we have Piper telling the story um, about um, his dad. He's basically saying, like, you know, I was uh, growing up with my dad and stuff. And uh, uh, I remember one day my dad got a huge razor blade. And he was about to pretty much saw off my, my throat. 
like I was a um, like I was like a tree trunk, and that's when I ran away when I was 13. And then he's like, "We gotta start doing this because I'm not Daddy's little boy anymore." So they're just showing that they're 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 finally trying to do something about this. So so now like he's got Frank on his side, and then they realize that Gilbert Gilbert also knows. Yeah, about the aliens, right? Yeah. yeah. So and we we already kind of established that he already kind of knew about him in the beginning too. Right. So so Gilbert and all of them they meet and stuff. Um, and he's like, okay, I need you guys to come to this address and stuff. This is where we're all meeting at, and we're all gonna get together. And they eventually go to the meeting site. They all bring in their their guns with them all to this meeting site. Uh, Frank sees his friend that he used to to talk to and the the friend was like say it's a girl she's saying like hey you guys don't need those glasses anymore we got these contacts put these on so now they put on some contacts so they can look a little bit better you know who is the the creatures or not right plus it doesn't give them a headache anymore yes um so now we have the hacker guy he's back on tv now um he just saying all this stuff about you know uh they 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 came here to you know to take down the government and they're going to be looking like the government. Um, some cops, um, you know, some people, some actual real humans have joined up with them, just so they can get rich and popular in life. So we have a lot of people mm-hmm. that have sold out to their same humans, their same cultures, uh, just to get be rich and successful in life. So yeah. that we're seeing now that not only are the uh, the creatures ba- bad, but they actually have some human. Um, they bought off some humans basically to help them out, which is another part of the whole political thing that we'll talk about at the end of it. Yes. Uh, and also too, the the the, the Ghana TV was also saying like, have you guys also noticed that the the, uh, the 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 carbonation of this world has also changed, and they're making this world a lot more like their world is now too. It's like they they're they basically want to have a uh. uh they basically want to take over this place like an enterprise, and they and they're they're, they're using us like their natural resources. Um, we we could be anything to them, pets or food, but the only thing we are, are livestock. Yeah, doesn't he say it's something like where this is their third world country or something like that, where yes. they're, you know, which is alludes to like, you know, back in the early twentieth century and before, like they would, you know, like England and the United States to a, to a degree. Yes. would go to like this, these third world countries and then like kind of exploit them for the resources that they had. And then once they extracted everything they needed, they would just basically leave and let the whole thing collapse. Yes. Um, but yeah, so basically that's what they're doing here is that this is their third world country. So they're going to come here and, and uh, take all the resources and then just let the planet collapse. Yes. And they're also trying to figure out how to use their watches too, because they know that the watches um, can make them disappear and vanish. Um, this is also too when Gilbert's saying like there should be more of us out here, you know. What we need to do is we got to turn off these signals, you know, that the broadcasting and and, and showing us the false stuff. If we, if we can do that, then we can get a lot more supporters to take down these people. And of course, some of them just say, "Let's just go gun and blazing." He's like, "We can't go mm-hmm. gun blazing in there. There's too many of them." Um, yeah, not enough bullets. Yes. So this is when um, Holly shows up. And she's saying like, so Station Fifty Four is clear. There's there's actually nothing going on over there. It's probably being broadcast from something else. And Piper's like, oh shit, she's here. Maybe she realizes that everything's okay. And then of course when yeah. she starts to talk, and um, Piper starts to talk, 
to um, Holly. I was like, I'm sorry. I, I, I thought you were dead. Piper's like, I thought I was too. <laughs> and then they start apologizing and then bam, an explosion happens and all these cops start storming in, start shooting everybody. They're shooting all the Gilbert's dead. They shoot, they shoot a couple other people and they're basically getting the upper hand now. And so now we have Piper <clears throat> and Frank. They are like um, escaping. They're venturing through an alleyway. You know, they're just shooting back. There's a ton of, ton, ton of the whole big fight scene, shooting back and forth. Yeah, with the, the shootout in the alley. Yes, and eventually Frank gets the watch. He's trying to figure it out so they can figure out how to teleport. Eventually it doesn't work, but then the, the watch eventually, when it slams down, it creates a, temp, a temporary portal, and they eventually go in that temporary portal. And of course, Yeah, kind of like when you hit the button on the side of your iPhone accidentally and it calls 911. That's kind of what this is. Yes, there you go. And then also... um. Piper is trying to find Holly during this whole time too, because they they split it up. So now they are they go down to this hole, and it's basically like this little tunnel. And the tunnel is like okay, it's like a little voice saying like okay, you get you down here if you need uh, some directions on the way out. There's a couple of different languages that can help you get get out of here. So they start walking around. They can't really read any of the symbols on the wall, and eventually they hear from two guards. They're talking amongst themselves, saying like, oh, the terrorists have been destroyed. They're all been destroyed now. Yes, everything is going great. And then eventually uh, Frank says he hears something and Piper. And then eventually they go to a big banquet. And it's just like this random big banquet that's down in this little sailor-like hall. And mm. <clears throat> we have the, uh, some guy on stage saying like, oh, all of our profits have been doing great. Um um, America will be on the human power. Uh, this is all for the elite. This is all for the elite humans. All right. Um, all of our profits and all of, all the all the expansion that we've been doing has gone up by thirty nine percent and is growing each day. So everybody's going great. And then Piper and and, and um, Frank are just looking on like, what the hell's going on here? And he's yeah, like, yeah. Oh. So this is sorry, I didn't interrupt you. This okay. this is a scene where. They see the uh, where the the speech where the guy's talking about how uh, it's a new morning in America. Yeah, right. Yeah, where he's like, it's a new morning in America, and we don't need cynicism and that kind of thing. So he's basically saying that, you know, like, you know, you don't need if you think the world if you think anything is bad in the world, it's not really bad. It's just your bad attitude kind of thing. Yes, but he's also talking yes. about how how um also too like how his uh. How like all the profits and everything is growing. How like the the taking over is growing, right? Throughout. Yeah, yeah. And he's also saying like, "Hey, we also stopped a terrorist too," so everybody's like clapping about that as well. And then Piper and Frank they are now joined by the construction uh, site uh, manager, and apparently he is now he is sold out now. He is now part of the rich elite group mm -hmm. now. He's like, oh, I didn't know you guys joined up. He's like, cool. He's like, have you guys seen stuff around here yet? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we haven't seen stuff. He's like, oh. He's like, you know what? I knew when I met you, Piper, I knew we had a lot in common. Like, he doesn't even think for, he doesn't even stop for a second to wonder why he, they would recruit to, like, basically homeless people to be part of their society. I don't know. He's like, he's like, hey, man, you guys are rich now. You shouldn't be dressing in, like, this way, too. <laughs> you can get suits now. Yeah, true. Good point. So he starts showing them around. Uh, this is when, you know, Frank's like, you know, where are we and stuff? He's like, oh, this is like a, just a little, like, you know, portal place where all this stuff comes together. This is where they, uh, you know, the, the the base of everything. And he's like, oh, look at this place. See that right over there? That's a portal. And that portal 
this is how they go back and forth. Just think of this has a big like airport where you know people are coming in, people are going. Um, it has to do with something with like Porter Rays, and it's like I don't know, sure too much about it and stuff. <laughs> and, and and he's going on saying like, hey man, all these like creatures, they got their act together. You know what I mean? Like they they mm-hmm. know what they're doing. They're doing the best thing that they can for our world. Um, and here's like there. Let me show you like the brains of the operations over here. And the brains of the operation basically is the big uh, TV studio or the news channels where all the, the signal is coming out from. All right. And Piper wants to look inside the TV station. The construction is like, oh, well, I might be able to do that and stuff. You know, I am pretty good friends with them, these guys over mm-hmm. here. And, of course, it's like, hey, let me show my friends inside the TV station. They've never seen one before. And the cops are like, okay, well, let me show you. Let me see your badges. It's like, we got the badges right here. So they start shooting the cops. And stuff, and then the, the construction's like, you know, what the hell's going on here and stuff. And then he, the, the the construction guy's saying like, you know, they're like, hey man, what the hell? Like you you're, you're basically betraying your own kind. He's like, what the big deal? Everybody sells out every once in a while, and like everybody, um, you know, there's this just a business, man. You guys are taking this way too serious. This is just like a business, you know. Everybody, um, I just want to be on the winning team and stuff. And then he eventually yeah, gets everybody. out of there. Yeah, everybody sells out, right? Yeah, everybody sells out. Everybody wants to be on the winning team. Everybody's just trying to make a profit. So this is when they they, they, they start getting into the TV station. They break in and stuff, and then they start, like, shooting some of the uh, the, the station uh, crew. So this is when they're, they're going. They basically want to look for the roof because the roof has the big satellite where it's transmission and signal. So they're going through a bunch of different parts of the TV station. Um, you know, Piper is still trying to look for Holly. Uh, the people are too like upset to like answer him about where Holly is, um, and then eventually uh, some of the army shows up, and they are on they are on floor twenty one while they're on nineteen, so they plan on trapping them. Piper and and Frank are, so you know Piper and Frank they're just kind of like mowing through everybody. So they kill a lot of the officers, but they're not killing any of the people. So and then eventually they run into Holly, just she just out of, out of here from anywhere. Like she just pops up out of nowhere. They start following her, and they all go up to the um, to the roof. Mm-hmm. And then right before they're gonna get into the roof, um, Piper like kills a couple of the army people. Is about to get up into the roof, and then we could see that Holly has shot in Frank in the head. Heel turn. Heel turn, brother. So Piper's up there on the roof. He's like, "Hey, Holly and Frankie, right behind me. You guys clear?" And she's like, "Holly's like, I'm clear." He looks around. He's like, well, "What's going on?" It's like, it's like. She's like, and she's like, hey, I'm clear. She's like, don't do it. You can't win. Now this is when we get a helicopter and a helicopter saying to stay away from the dish and stuff. So, you know, they're, they're kind of like looking at each other. Uh, Holly and um, and Frank are, I mean, uh, Holly and Piper are. And then eventually the uh, uh, Piper shoots Holly. And then eventually he looks at it and he's like, well, fuck it. And he starts shooting the, the, um, the dish. And the dish blows up on top of Station 54. And then a Piper flips them, flips them off. Flips off the aliens, and then he dies. Yes. So we've seen that. I guess Holly was in on it the whole time because she was trying to say that they uh, they didn't have anything going on at Station 54. But, of course, Station 54 was their big plan of operation. So she was. Yeah. I think she was dirty from the beginning, brother. She was. Yeah, she was. She was dirty from the beginning. And then, of course, when this station blows up, now a lot of the humans can see what these creatures look like in real form. 
And the funniest one was when the girl was humping that one guy. And he's like, hey, what's wrong? And then it cuts off. And then all of a sudden she can see the, uh, see what, it, what, yeah. So now everybody can see the aliens and hopefully we uh, saved our world and got our world back. Yes. And that ends They Live, brother. Very good movie. Yep. I'd it's say, not as good as The Thing, but it's a good movie. Yes. It has a lot of deep meaning to it. You know, when it comes to alien invasion and how aliens can prey on some of humans' weakness when it comes to power and control and wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows you know, a lot of political side of like how if somebody has money and power and stuff, how they can bring down you know, the common man who's just trying to save money for his family and all kinds of stuff. Right. Well, I mean, it is very on the nose. I mean, clearly Carpenter wrote this about Ronald Reagan and then the Reagan, Reagan's economic policies at the time, which basically, like, I remember this specifically where he was like, you know, cutting tax rates for like corporations and getting rid of like oil tax windfalls and things like that. So like people at the top were paying less taxes and it kind of funneled money from the middle class and the working class straight to the top. Um, and but the, then all the ads on television were like, you know, don't you know, don't be negative. Like, look how things were going. They're so much better than they were when Jimmy Carter was president. Um and, you know, and then the whole thing about how they're trying to get people in the working class to basically spend all their money instead of saving it, which, keep, you know, which is the thing, the thing that keeps poor people poor and keeps rich people rich. Rich people don't spend their money. Um, they spend other people's money. Um, but, yeah, so he was he's clearly talking about Reagan and, and and Reagan's policies where he would give tax breaks to corporations and then they would move jobs overseas anyway, which is what he's talking about at the beginning of that movie where he's like, yeah, he's like, I worked in uh where did you say Portland? No, it was Denver. Denver. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I worked in Denver for ten years, and now I I can't get a job. So that that's that's something that a lot of people were seeing, like people who had had jobs, like my parents. That happened to my parents. Like they'd had their jobs for years and years and years and years and years, like really good jobs, factory jobs, and then all of a sudden they're just like, yep, oh, we're moving overseas. Good luck. Um, and that was a common thing at the time. It's a common thing now, but it was a it was it was unprecedented then. It never happened before. So that's what that's what Carpenter is definitely talking to. I mean, I don't I don't think there could be any even any kind of interpretation of it. You know what I mean? That's exactly what he's meaning. Yes. Um, because that speech, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but that speech the guy's making about how the it's a new day and the profits are up. That's almost paraphrasing a Ronald Reagan uh, election ad from 1984, which they call New Day in America, I believe. Um, but yeah, that almost it almost quotes that. Uh, election commercial it's pretty crazy stuff so it's definitely one of those movies it's like you know you definitely see you know it has a lot of deeper meaning than just being like a normal like slasher horror movie or something like that it's a a lot of deep meaning you know a lot of horror movies and a lot of like different movies can can do that they can have really good deep meanings while having like a scary undertone with it as well too so and it's definitely something creepy too you know like you know, there's a lot of talk when it comes to like, you know, maybe there is somebody that's higher up there or some sort of organization who's taking control and being behind the scenes, kind of like how these aliens are. You know, we have a mm-hmm. lot of groups like that, you know, over history and time that, you know, people are thinking are manipulating and stuff that we're all living mm-hmm. in assimilation. We're all just being manipulated and stuff. So this yeah, movie like has the Illuminati. Yeah, like the Illuminati. There's a there's a bunch of different stories and conspiracy theories that can coincide with this movie. And we can mm-hmm. see something like this happening because how do we know 
you know, if we're being controlled or not, if there's like waves going into our heads or, you know, how do we know unless we actually like wake up and see, you know, if there's something that can maybe, actually make uh, us to do it. You never know. Yeah, maybe it's the 5G. Yeah, there you go. It could be the new 5G. Yeah, the, five, the, the 5G is controlling your minds. Yes. You have no idea. But everybody, that has been the review on They Live as we continue our sci-fi month here on the Retro Blood Brother. Uh, so definitely fun, you know, two jam, two back-to-back jam-packed awesome episodes of John Carpenter uh, talking about. We'll probably visit him sometime later down the retro oh, blood path. We will. Oh yeah, always. So it's always good to see like these deep meaning movies and some of the different twists of how sci-fi uh, invasions can happen um, around your, uh, your your world. But up next, we're gonna be talking a little bit about some uh, some some videos. And some video droning because we're doing video drum here on the Retro Blood, oh, brother. This is gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a crazy one, man. We're we're going deep into the sci-fi month here on September, brother. We ain't playing around no more. So, but um, how about we leave everybody with some death? Yep. Here on the Retro Blood for sci-fi month, and how about we do primitive ways? Sounds good to me. Let's do it. Primitive ways from death. Primitive Enjoy ways it. from death, brother, because when these creatures came, they don't want to see us primitive ways anymore. They want to make us have new ways and new, new ways, ways of seeing everything. Obey and go to sleep. Obey. Obey. Consume. Consume. Sail. Take over. All right, everybody. We'll check you later here on the Retro Blood. See ya.